Cox said, I apologize to the astrology community for not making myself clear. I should have said that this new age drivel is undermining the very fabric of our civilization. What's up, skeptics? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I'm Jordan, and with me as always is Jared. How's it going, Jared? It is going well. I'm feeling very skeptical. Uh, How was your pagan Christmas? My pagan Christmas was very pagan. We danced in the streets. The slaves served masters. We actually had to buy slaves specifically for the occasion, which was more difficult than you might expect. I would imagine so. We wanted our Saturnalia to be authentic. You know, yeah, I, so. as one does when they're celebrating right. these pagan holidays. So We all released them now. No, <laughs> no actual slaves were harmed. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> no slaves were harmed in the making of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So today we are going to be talking about the stars Ooh. and how they impact your life. Specifically, we're going to be talking about astrology and horoscopes. Which is the practice of reading vague things in the newspaper and then picking the ones you want to apply to your life. That's the practice of astrology in a nutshell. It, it's essentially fortune cookies. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be looking at that, seeing if it holds up scrutiny. It won't. And then we're going to have some fun uh, looking at our horoscopes and seeing what we find. Uh, but before we get to that, today's fallacy of the day is the causal fallacy. So causal fallacies are, it's an informal fallacy, and they occur when an argument is incorrectly concludes that a cause is related to an effect. So if you think of a causal fallacy as a parent category or like uh, of other fallacies, so for example, a post hoc fallacy. So when in a post hoc fallacy, you're basically, you mistake something for the cause because it came first. So you would say that, this has to be the reason because this preceded the effect. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Uh, for example, if you go to sleep in the evening every night, you go to sleep and then the sun goes down. Therefore, the sun goes down because I went to sleep. My sleeping caused the sun to go down. That is an extreme example. <laughs> yeah. But yes, that, that would be a causal or a post hoc fallacy. Or if you go back to our homeopathy episode, Jordan took a shit ton of homeopathic sleeping pills and then he went to sleep later that night. So he went to sleep because he took these homeopathic sleeping pills. So, <laughs> In fact, if you listen to the episode, I took an entire bottle and I actually felt more energetic afterwards. Maybe I got the wrong bottle. Yeah. But, so basically uh, causes that aren't quantum mechanical in nature, they are going to come after their effects, but just because something comes after something doesn't mean that there's a causal relationship. Right. They could be completely unrelated, or perhaps both things could be caused by something else. So even if they're correlated, so something happens before something else, and it happens every time, it might be because A caused B, or it might be because A and B are both caused by another thing, C. So Yeah. And this is important to remember because, you know, causality, you know, correlation, all that stuff. But also we need to take into account that just because something – we're pattern-seeking beings, and so we look for causes and things. And so if we see a direct causal link to something or a correlation, we'll automatically try to, as humans, connect those two things. And you can see this with superstitions. 
that develop. Uh, athletes will like wear their lucky underwear or whatever. There are really interesting experiments that show this happening, not just in humans. Uh, one of my favorite ones was with pigeons, uh, having them develop superstitions. You could do it very quickly. The way they did it was they had a button that you could press, and the pigeons knew that like from previous experiments that pressing the button, or some of the pigeons did anyway, pressing the button could be related to the snack. So sometimes they'd press the button and a snack would come out. So in one group, press the button, snack comes out, they're directly correlated. And they quickly learn, press the button, meet snack. Great, no problem. Another group of pigeons had the same button, but their button didn't do anything. <laughs> but a snack would get dropped randomly. Just at random intervals, a snack would drop and it had nothing to do with the button pushing. And the pigeons very quickly started developing superstitions because of like they had wobbled their head and then pressed the button and a snack came down they would in the future wobble their head again and hit the button like <laughs> immediately started developing all kinds of weird ticks and dances and stuff in order to get the <laughs> snack to come that's yeah, pretty hilarious uh, yeah <laughs> we laugh at the pigeons and then like you know wear our lucky shirt or buy lottery tickets on you know the first day of the month or whatever yeah we are the pigeons so. yeah we're the pigeons <laughs> well. so speaking of things that don't have causal powers uh, i don't know if you've ever read a horoscope i don't th i was never really into astrology even when i was like religious so i was more prone to believing in supernatural things um i have known a lot of people though who check their horoscope daily in fact i knew one coworker. And she would check several horoscopes and she would like read it a little bit. And I, she told me this in all seriousness. She said, I read it, but if it doesn't look like one I like, I, I close it out real quick and then it doesn't count. And I go and read another one. <laughs> and I, I laughed and I was like, but she was serious. Like she honestly believed that that was how the universe worked. I don't think this word means what you think it means. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So <clears throat> astrology is not a new thing, not to be confused with astronomy, which is uh, the an science. actual study of science. Yeah, an actual <laughs> science. But astrology historically was very closely linked to astronomy, and both were considered scientific uh, pursuits. So astrology, as it exists today, basically looks at the position of celestial bodies, constellations, and planets, and their positions relative to each other and uses that to make predictions or statements about you as a person, where you should be going, what you should be doing. Yeah. And a horoscope is basically a diagram of those positions of the planets and stars put into a specific relation to one's birth. And so then they'll use those astrological you know, charts to say, this is where you're how you, if you were born in that time, how this relates to you as a person and, and make predictions based off of that. The basic claim is that the celestial bodies their, and their positions relative to each other and to the earth exerts some kind of supernatural or divine spiritual influence on events on earth. Yeah. And so if you take certain actions when a planet is somewhere in relation to a constellation then it'll be more likely to succeed or whatever we talked about this a smidge bit when we talked about mercury mercury being in retrograde yeah. uh so we can refer back to one of our previous episodes about that but we so, just dipped our toe into the waters there 
Uh, it does have a very long history. There are there are like cave drawings and stuff that seem to indicate people are using the stars to make predictions or or maybe like to to signify things. Uh, there was certainly a astrological tradition in Babylon, so like ancient Mesopotamia. The modern tradition of astrology takes its heritage from the Greeks. Um, so one of the principal works for that was written by a guy named Ptolemy. He wrote a four-volume work called Tetra Biblos, and he wrote in the second century CE, so not that long after the books of the New Testament were being written. He wasn't the first Greek astrologer, but he was like the authoritative writer for the next like 1500 years people were using his work because he was very rigorous and he actually it was four books and he spent the entire first book grounding his methodology in the science of his time in Aristotelian physics and talking about how you know certain planets why they like the the, the theory the gra- the theoretical framework for his model um it's actually kind of ironic that he throw shade at people trying to use auguries and predictions not based on physics and like empirical data. He says, quote, as for the nonsense on which many waste their labor and of which not even a plausible account can be given, this we shall dismiss in favor of the primary natural causes. We shall investigate not by means of lots and numbers of which no reasonable explanation can be given, but merely through the science of the aspects of the stars to the places with which they have familiarity. Wow. Yeah, so he was he was trying to be empirical, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm all for that. What's funny actually though is that even told me like at that time we had a geocentric model of the universe, right? So we started with the earth and then moved outwards from there. Right. So for him, his model had seven planets, seven objects. Uh yeah, the earth at the center, and then in rings out from there you had the moon, then Mercury, Venus, the sun, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Um, and it included, his model included a lot more than just the positions of planets and included like certain winds were associated with certain planets. And because of the prevalence of those winds, he drew like generalizations for various nations, like because the British Isles were said to have an affinity for Aries and Mars, they were fierce, headstrong, and bestial. Yes. He, he went way into the weeds about it but basically people took his work moving forward through the centuries it got accepted into the christian church and and was considered like a worthwhile pursuit um and it was popular and considered like a respected study until the enlightenment hit in the 17th century and then when people found out that the earth was not in fact the center of the solar system it was kind of a big deal Astrologers now still use the geocentric model from what I was reading, not because they think the Earth is in the center of the universe. The explanation they give is that people experience the universe from a geocentric viewpoint. Oh, okay. Now, so I guess like they're saying, like, if you look out, the world looks geocentric. And I can't remember who said it, but there was a, a scientist who heard someone say that, like, well, I mean, it's understandable. Like, the the, the, the universe, like, the solar system looks geocentric. And the guy responded, well, what would it have looked like if it wasn't then? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <clears throat> Good point. Uh, yeah. So 
about the time of the Enlightenment, it was fall, fallen out of favor, not just because of the geocent- uh, heliocentrism becoming in vogue, but also because other planets beyond Saturn were discovered, and that also kind of threw things off. Um, but whether or not it's popular, it's still widely believed yeah. to a certain extent. And we had a, there was a huge resurgence actually around the turn of the century, you know, 18 to 1900s in America specifically, uh, around 1895, it became extremely popular and all the way up through like the World War II era. I found a pretty interesting article from the Scientific Monthly in 1942. And I'm in love with this quote because it just... It speaks to me dearly, but, quote, psychologists find no evidence that astrology is of any value whatsoever as an indicator of past, present, or future trends in one's personal life or in one's destiny, nor is there the slightest ground for believing that social events can be foretold by divinations of the stars. The Society for the Psychological Study of Social Issues therefore deplores the faith of a considerable section of the American public in a magical practice that has no shred of justification in scientific fact, end quote. Like, that is some pretty harsh language. (laughs) That is like sticking your finger up like, hey, man, like, believe in the sciences, you know, like. Since since we're talking uh, awesome quotes, in 2011, uh, British physicist Brian Cox got a bunch of flack from astrologists when he called it um, a load of rubbish on his program Wonders of the Solar System on the BBC. And so after the BBC like was trying to mitigate the issues or whatever, Cox offered a statement and the broadcaster didn't release it, but it got out anyway. Cox said, I apologize to the astrology community for not making myself clear. I should have said that this new age drivel is undermining the very fabric of our civilization. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, (laughs) But but it's it's not unpopular. According to uh, Pew 2018, about 29% of American adults believe in astrology to some uh, things. Though, perhaps unsurprisingly, atheists are only 3% likely to believe in astrology. That doesn't surprise me at all, actually. But so we actually looked into a couple uh, studies about this because we were trying to see, like, what does the science actually say? Is there any validity? Because as good skeptics, we want to look into the things. No matter how ridiculous it may seem. No matter how ridiculous. um, Surprisingly, the science is not on the side of astrology or horoscopes. So So a couple studies. um, One of them, I think, probably the best one was from 2006, the relationship between date of birth and individual differences in personality and general intelligence, a large-scale study. And that was done by Hartman, Reuter, and Nyborg. And so they had a large sample size, about 15,000 people. They didn't um, poll these people. What they did was they drew on existing databases of individuals. In this case, they were Vietnam veterans because the military has done extensive studies on their personality and intelligence over time. And so they used this population to try to see if there was any predictive power whatsoever in their time of birth. They split up a bunch of different ways, you know, whether they were born in spring, their their astrology signs, a whole like gamut of things. 
Um, not surprisingly, at the end, well, actually, there was some surprising result. They found no correlation whatsoever. And in the discussion, they actually talk about how that was surprising, not because they expected there to be a result that was favorable to astrology, but because with such a large sample size, it's normal to get like a spurious result or two. And they didn't even get that. Like there was literally nothing, no correlation at all. Right. Well, the reason I think this study is, is so good in particular is because a lot of the data that was collected was collected for reasons other than this study. Right. So there was almost no chance of bias going into this study. Like they just were collecting this data for other reasons and then somebody later on took it and said, okay, what can we make sense of this data, right? Now, yeah, exactly. Now, granted, this is a population of military veterans, all of whom experienced, you know, went to war or whatever. So you would expect them not to nest. There are reasons why this data is good data. They, they tend, they show that their outcomes match more or less what the overall populations were, the socioeconomic status, they were good cross-section, but it's plausible at least that their shared experience would skew the results. But if astrology really was true, you would still expect like, even if like they were slanted more one way, if your astrology sign pushed you the other way, there should still be a distribution, right? You should see some sort of similarities between the astrological signs. Right. And there was none. Zero, nada. So the other one I found was a study in 1981. Uh, It's titled A Controlled Test of Perceived Horoscope Accuracy. Mm. Uh, And what they did was, now this is a pretty small sample size. I believe it's only 38 college students. But what the study showed was that as humans, we tend to fulfill things that are, we personalize the results, right? So we tailor them to our own expectations. What they did was they presented students horoscopes, like three different horoscopes. One was their actual horoscope, you know, for their birth month or whatever. And then another one that wasn't. And then they would ask them to, you know, choose which one. The results were kind of all over the place. But basically what they determined was that we as humans will personalize the results to ourselves. And so we'll give meaning to things based on previous knowledge, if that makes sense. So if you've been told your whole life that, you know, we call these archetypes in literature, right? So like if, you know, like the Moses archetype, which Jesus fulfilled, but if you have been told your entire life that you're a leader, then when you're reading a horoscope that has a leadership trait in it, you will then look at that and go, oh yeah, that's me because I've been told I'm a leader. Right. There's a self-selection effect. One of, um, this is, this effect for of self-validation was um, famously published by Bertram Forer in 1948, but it's been replicated repeatedly since then. And what Forer did was he gave the students a personality test and um, follow, he gave them a description of their personality that was supposedly based on the results of the test. In fact, they weren't based on the results at all. He just cobbled together a bunch of newspaper horoscopes and everyone got exactly the same one. And he asked the students to rate on a scale of zero to five how accurate the description was. The average score was 4.26. So either everybody in the study were identical people (laughs) or people are remarkably good at picking out the parts they like about a description. Uh, This is also, 
Yeah, this has also been called the Barnum Effect because Barnum and Bailey, the entertainer, one of their slogans was the show has something for everybody. So, yeah, like, yeah. like, so one of the strategies that astrologers will do is they write vaguely. They write vague platitudes. And, and it's the same, like, if you read a, if you take an online test about what garlic bread you are or whatever, like, they do the same thing. It's just they vaguely describe some kind of warm, fuzzy sounding things, positive, but not too positive, right? And negative, but not too negative. And everybody can find something that, that describes them in there, you know? Right. Like, uh, one example, I was pulling up various horoscopes in preparation for this, and I actually pulled up, my brother walked in while I was doing it, so I pulled up his horoscope. Apparently, he should be looking for um, love and like what kind of person should be looking for. Well, you should be looking for someone who's fun and adventurous uh, and someone who's going to push you to be a better person. Well, uh, yeah, like <laughs> who is going to disagree with that? No, what I really want is someone boring and miserable. Who, like, like even if that is actually what you want, nobody is going to say that. Nobody's going to admit that, yeah. <laughs> this, this has also been called like the Nostradamus effect. Nostradamus would, would write very vaguely, so his prophecies and stuff. So it's very similar that astrology right. and prophecies... I don't think we have to go super into the weeds as to why, like, just on it on its face, it's completely implausible. For the, whatever force these planets and stars are are exerting, would have to be of a different quality because it can't have anything to do with distance. So the inverse square law is out. Unlike every other force that we know of, um, that varies with distance. And it drops off sharply as you get further and further away. Right. Uh, we're so far away from these stars or planets that we're all the same distance away. Not just that, but the the planets change their position relative to us all the time, right? But your horoscope doesn't take into account how far away Mars is this year, you know? Yeah. Uh, so if it is exerting a force, it, like you would expect it to wax and wane based on the distance, not just like its position relative to some star millions of light years away, but like its distance to earth. And that doesn't, but it just, it's just completely impossible on its face. And the science is clear. There's no, there are, there's plenty of perceived impact. There's no actual impact. Yeah. Very similar to when we did the Reiki study, there are people who gain comfort from these kind of horoscopes and things, which may be true or maybe not, but their level of comfort has no indication on, on the validity of these claims, right? So, Right. And whether or not horoscopes provide psychological comfort is a different question to whether or not they actually tell you anything. Yeah. You know, if you read it and it makes you feel better, cool, I guess, but like... It, it's not actually telling you anything, anything that you wouldn't actually know. Like I looked up my horoscope for yesterday, uh, the day after Christmas. And cause we're recording this on the 27th and I had, and it said, uh, you should take a break from being the host and focus and, and focus on being a good guest and like take some of the burden off. I mean, it's the day after Christmas, a large proportion of the population hosted some people on Christmas, you know, maybe they were talking about you hosting the podcast, Jordan. Maybe. I did host Whoa. Christmas, though. So. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, okay, so we've looked at the science. The science is clear. Uh, I think the scientists would say this claim is debunked, but what do they know? We're going to do some science right now. Live. Well, not live, because this isn't a live recording, but oh. recorded live 
broadcasted not live to you guys uh we're gonna do the worst scientific experiment ever ran i have in my hand a horoscope app the app is called sanctuary Mm. It's, it's your daily guide to the stars and it's free uh but you can actually get like readings by professionals uh unfortunately no one was available at this time so I'm not going to be able to do a live reading. But what I can do is read your December forecast. Because December's almost over, so we should be able to like look back right, and see whether it was accurate. So, uh, Jared, you said you're a Capricorn? According to the stars. Right. According to the current stars, which actually have shifted since the original set were developed by Ptolemy, but whatever. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, chosen at random, how many are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, there's 12. I'm going to roll a d12, so it's actually Ooh. random. Instead Dungeons of, and Dragons time, yeah, baby. Which I have right next to my hand, actually, because I'm a big nerd. I'm going to go get a d12. And so I'm going to read three horoscopes. One of them will actually be yours. And I'll probably paraphrase because they're pretty long. And two will not. And I'm going to pick the two that I'm going to read at random. All right. I know what order I'm going to read them in and which one will be the real one. And you won't know. Okay. A, B, or C. Right. So here we go with the first one. I'm consulting the stars. This is very long, but I'm going to paraphrase. While you might have felt less inspired with your words during the past six months of Neptune retrograde, you are also less susceptible to being duped by others' flowery or insincere statements. However, once Neptune stations direct on December 1st, uh, it's hard to read this with a straight face, (laughs) empathy can cloud your perception of the facts, aim to balance idealism and common sense in conversations. The December 4th Sagittarius solar eclipse catalyzes soul-searching. Something feels missing, which you can't put into words, and your faith will be tested before you find the answers you seek. Okay, that is A. That's A. All right. How do you feel so far? Is that that describing you? That is not tingling in my bunghole right now, so. No, I mean, I. it talked about, like, doubting people's claims. That sounds pretty it good. It did. I mean, yeah, I don't know, but I feel like maybe there's one that could be mine. I don't know. Okay, here's another one. Number two. During the past six months of Neptune retrograde, was it the same as the last one? Were they both well, Neptune? Well, Neptune? I mean, it should be. Neptune is in retrograde. Yeah, okay, so. cool. I just want to make sure they weren't like completely making up. No, these are professionals. This is a real <laughs> thing. Okay. During the past six months of Neptune retrograde, you've seen your relationships in a more lucid light. However, when Neptune stations direct on December 1st, idealism causes you to be less discriminating in your tastes. Be sure not to place your partner on a pedestal. They're only human. The December 4th Sagittarius solar eclipse stimulates conflict on the home front. You may feel especially vulnerable and in need of comfort, but circumstances are too chaotic to find stable footing. Seek solace in your faith instead of assuming conditions must look a certain way so you can be secure. Okay. Okay. Sounding a little warmer? Uh, Maybe, maybe. All right. Well, here's the last one. While certain optimistic bubbles regarding your work have burst over the past six months of Neptune retrograde, you've achieved a clear understanding of where to shore up your skills. Once Neptune stations direct on December 1st, your task is to stay focused and realistic as you resume creative products projects. The December 4th Sagittarius eclipse stimulates self-doubt and shakeups in communication. Seek to be receptive to new ideas, perspectives, and possibilities, even if 
this is uncomfortable in practice. Hmm. So I, I'm going to go with C. That last one? The last one. That was the December forecast for Libra. But, but I'm a Capricorn. You are a Capricorn. Uh, so the three there were Libra, Cancer, and Capricorn. Now, before you look at that and say, well, the, the Cancer one, that was me, and I'm a Cancer. So maybe it didn't work for Jared, but it definitely worked for me. I got you because that wasn't actually Cancer. That was Virgos. <laughs> Boom. Roasted. <laughs> Roasted. Yeah. But you can see what we were talking about. Like, they were full of vague things like... And, and honestly, there was there was bits and pieces in each one of those where I related to uh, sure. across the board. And, and not knowing which one was mine, like I was like, ooh, I, that one relates, that one relates. Like I just went with the one that had the most relatable stuff. So, Yeah, like I'm a Virgo, I found in doing this. And yeah, there's parts in there that I could certainly resonate with. Don't put my partner on a pedestal. They're only human. Okay, cool. Uh, I might feel vulnerable and need a comfort. I mean, not really. Uh, circumstances might be chaotic. The holidays are chaotic. So like, but that's what humans do. Like I'm reading through it. It's like, oh, that doesn't make sense. So I kind of like that one just kind of fades away. And the ones that apply to me jump out, right? Yeah. As you were literally reading that out loud, I was like, I like just forgot the stuff that didn't apply to me at all. So. Right. But I bet you remember some of the things that applied to you. Yeah. Yeah. I so. There you go. That is a live demonstration of how this works. And this isn't um, unique to astrology. Uh, cold readers do this kind of stuff all the time. They use different techniques too, more specific techniques, but they talk in vague generalities that could apply to a lot of people um, so that you know it'll necessarily hit a lot of people, right? You said you were a Virgo? I think so. So I was born September 4th. That's Virgo, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I'm a Virgo. Okay. Well, I found this one horoscope online, so you know it's accurate. Okay. And it says that you you might need to adopt a stern attitude today in order to be as effective as you'd like to be. That's true, right? That's true, and I tend to have a stern attitude all the time, so that's yeah. so me. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. So that's proof. That's 100% accurate. Yep. Okay, so we've changed our minds. We've learned live on air that astrology is completely true. You can take that to the bank. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Well, this is also true. So cold readings or tarot cards tend to use the same kind of things, yeah. right? Where they flip over cards and then they read into things that based off your mannerisms, things that you've told them within the conversations. So yeah. So basically here's the key takeaway. It doesn't do anything for you. Don't make any decisions whatsoever based on your horoscope. If you think it's amusing to read one, I guess you're probably not hurting anybody. Just don't don't take anything from it because it's complete nonsense. Yeah. Well, I would say it's hurtful in the fact that you could be reading something actually useful in that time that you're reading one of them. <laughs> so. True. And you do have an opportunity cost. There. Right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe find a better form of uh, entertainment. So that is our show. Before we go, we wanted to try something new. We're going to call it tentatively the reader's mailbag or top comment. I don't know. We hadn't really discussed it. Uh, You've got mail. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Uh, so our video top nine things atheists get wrong got a lot of comments, which is great. We love that engagement. Definitely want you to keep it up. And we thought it might be fun to pull out part of a comment 
and to address it on air. So this one is going to be Dharma Defender, who commented four hours ago as we are reading this. And he commented a bunch. All of them had timestamps. Or she. Or she. Sorry, they. Um, um, yeah, because their picture is Wendy from the fast food chain. So definitely could be Wendy. Uh, they put a bunch of timestamps, uh, very articulate. So we love that stuff. We will hopefully get around to replying on YouTube, but uh, we're just going to pick one out. So they pointed to our video at 16 minutes and 10 seconds. And if you haven't listened to the episode, go and listen to it. It's a great one. But what we were talking about was the Aryan controversy. And we were basically pointing out things that atheists get wrong. And the thing we pointed out was that some atheists claim that the nice the council of nicaea in 325 in 325 because there were others but the council of nicaea called by constantine decided that jesus was god like jesus wasn't considered god before this and afterwards he was considered god and we said no that's not right what it was talking about is the Arian controversy and everyone there thought jesus was god that's what we said yeah we literally said they were just trying to figure out how god was he <laughs> right so dharma defender stated Quote, what? Of qu- what? Sorry, that, that was a really weird inflection because that didn't sound like a question at all. What? what? Question? Yeah. <laughs> question mark. Of course, that's what they were deciding. The Arians, the vast majority, it's all in caps, of Christians at the time believed Jesus was not equal with God. The Nicene Doctrine taught that he was the same essence as God. That's exactly what Nicaea did. His quote goes on, but that's the important part. So I think this could be chalked up to either a misunderstanding of what the Arians thought or what we said. Let's appeal to a third party source. Uh, Bart Ehrman is a New Testament scholar who's very informed, obviously, on this controversy among all the other controversies. So you, he has a great blog, the ehrmanblog.org. Highly recommended if you're interested in this kind of stuff. And he states that Arius, his interpretation of things was that. Christ was the wisdom of God, which is the same as the word of God. And he, being the son of God, had not always existed. He came into existence at some point in the very remote past, like before creation, before God made the world. He existed alone. Then he created Jesus. And then the both of them together created the world. And so Arius did not think that he, that Christ was God in the same exact sense that God was God. Like God made Christ in his own image. God bears, Christ bears the title of God, but he is not like the true most powerful God. That's only God the Father. But he was still a God. Yes. And what's important here is to, at the Council of Nicaea, this term homoousian means that he had the same essence of God. Um, And that's what they, that's what they came to conclude Based so, on that controversy. Right. So what the Nicene Council decided was that, no, it's not that they are both God, but one is a bigger, more powerful God, a pre-existing God. They are literally the same being, the same yeah. essence, one and the same. And so that's what ended up being concluded. Um, the Arius, same with the Holy Spirit as well. Right. They were all three that the triune Godhead, that's when it was enshrined. And that, to to modern readers, I think – particularly in America who are like steeped in a Abrahamic tradition to them, it might feel natural for there to be like God and mortals. And like, those are the two settings. It's like binary, right? You're either God or you're not 
you know. But if you look back to the way that things were at the time in their cultural context, the way divinity was viewed at the time was far more shades of gray, not among Christians necessarily, but among pagans, there was a whole gradient of gods. Uh, the Roman emperor was could be a god, but he was a very, very minor god, like on the very bottom of divinity, but still very powerful, but very minor. And it went all the way up through the gamut. But you could have pe- things who were god, but being god didn't mean like you were equal in power, right? Right. Like, for example, Hercules, you know, was a demigod. He was half god, half human because he was born of a human, but from a god. So, right. So, uh, Dharma, I think we're kind of saying the same thing. It's just that it's not that the Arians thought that Christ was the same as God. Obviously, they didn't. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a controversy. They, the Arians believed that Jesus was God in some sense. The question was, in what sense is God? And so did the other one. Everyone there believed that Jesus was divine in some sense. And the question was, well, exactly how divine is he? And the answer turned out to be super divine, like as divine as you get. <laughs> and we may not have made this clear in our episode, but we were responding to with the claims by atheists that the Council of Nicaea is when they decided that Jesus was God. Right. The common claim is basically... Jesus was just a dude before Nicaea, and then they elevated him to godhood then, right. which is obviously nonsense. Yeah, and we we might have, we maybe should have made that more clear in our episode. And thank you for pointing that out. And we'll make sure to use our words a little more wisely in the future. So, so again, thanks for joining us, guys. If you have any more comments, if Dharma has more to say, hopefully he's very verbose. So hopefully we'll hear more <laughs> from them. Uh, but if you have. Uh, some thoughts about this episode or any other episode definitely leave a comment we do read every single comment even if we don't uh, respond to all of them we do read all of them and uh, if you have a topic you want us to cover hit us up you can hit us up on facebook facebook.com slash reason to doubt or youtube you can hit us up on twitter all the links are on our channel description leave a like or a comment or something just to let us know how it's going that that both gives us feedback so we can be better and it helps the channel get to more people So we really appreciate it. And remember, believe in your horoscopes because they're they're true. They're definitely real. (laughs) You heard it here first. Uh, And while you're reading your horoscope, remember, you've always got reason to doubt. Peace out.